So this morning we're going to continue in the book of John, John chapter 8. If you want to get your Bibles open and ready, let me give you um, a bit of where we're going. There is this thing called freedom. This thing called freedom is talked a lot about these days. I've probably heard it talked more about in the last two years because of things happening in the world um, than I have most of my life. Freedom, it's something that we hold so dear. We have such uh, a value on the word freedom and what it means. We don't really sometimes understand the, the dynamic of freedom of when does my freedom, when is the line of where my freedom ends and yours begins? When does my freedom impede on your freedom? And, and we wrestle over these things and we argue over these things. We fight for them. But freedom, it is this thing that's in us that everyone talks about. The amount of times you hear someone say, I want to be free from fill in the blank. Right? We hear, you know, those that have been incarcerated, I have been set free. Those teenagers, hopefully not mine, but most teenagers say, I want to be free from my parents. Right? Let me move out and be free. Hopefully mine want to stay with me forever. Oh, they, I know. I want them to move on, but I hope the desire is to still want to be with me. That is the point. Um, things like free from my job. If I just had a different job, I would be free. Free from my past. Free from a relationship. Free. This word free is so attached in our language to something that, that will solve our problems. If I were only free... But what does that really mean? What does it really mean to be free? Freedom comes at a cost. Freedom has a trade-off. If you think about all those statements I just said, let's think about that. Free. Someone is free from incarceration, and now they have to go and they have to pay rent and buy food and cook and work. Kids moving out of the home and they want to be free, guess what they get to do? They get to go Buy food and cook and work, pay bills. Free from my job, well, guess what? You still have to work and cook and buy food and pay bills. There is always cost to freedom. Freedom isn't something that doesn't have an action attached to it. And somehow in our brains, I think sometimes we think it does. If I were only free, all of my problems would be solved. Free from your baggage, free and healed. I promise you, anyone who has been set free and has truly been healed, there's a whole lot of work that has been put into getting there. It doesn't just happen automatically. Freedom is something we work at. It's something that has a cost attached to it. I think for a generation that is ours and down, and even probably the generation before us, because we have not ever had to be in any kind of world war, we don't really understand the cost that comes with freedom. We hear about it, but we don't understand it. Not the way that the generations before would understand it. Freedom has to be paid 
by someone. It isn't something that comes with no cost. This morning is what a lot of Christian circles would call Palm Sunday, right? It's the Sunday where we celebrate that Christ came in to Jerusalem riding on this donkey. Everybody's celebrating him. They're so excited he's coming in, and they put all these palm branches down, which is why it's called Palm Sunday. And, you know, when I was a kid, there was, anyone can tell me, put their hand up, they remember this kid, you know, all the little kids would come, and they'd wave their little palm branches up and down the aisles, and you'd sing, I can't remember the song, but there was a song you sang every Palm Sunday, and that's what you did as a church to celebrate. And I remember that, because I remember that there was this time where you celebrated Christ coming in. Why were we celebrating? Because a week later, he would die, and he would give us freedom through his death but it's interesting right from one Sunday to the next how he went from someone that they celebrated to someone that they crucified see freedom isn't when everyone likes you and everyone thinks that life is great and everyone is celebrating you and I think often we attach freedom to that we attach freedom to the absence of problems we attach freedom to the absence of struggle. And that's just not accurate. See, the Apostle Paul, he, while well, he was in prison, struggling for his life because he didn't know if they were going to kill him, what did he proclaim? He proclaimed, I have the joy of the Lord and I am free. He sang the Lord's praises. He sang about being free free. Half of our worship songs will have the, the word free in it. It is something that we think of as extremely important to our faith. Freedom. This idea of free, right? Who the Son set free is free in... Come on, that was weak, guys. Who the Son sets free is free in... Indeed. And we proclaim it from the rooftops. Because that's what we say our faith is about, is God, make us free. You have made us free. Let us celebrate that. And I could give you a sermon to make you feel good, and you're going to go out of here, and for the rest of the day, you're going to feel free, and you're going to wake up tomorrow, and the same life is going to be there, and you're not going to feel free anymore. Right? Because we can create this idea of freedom in the moment by attaching to emotion and by hyping ourselves up. Like, I got this. I'm free. I'm going to be good. Jesus says I'm free. I'm going. Here we go. I'm free. And then life hits you. And you're like, I'm not feeling so free anymore. I'm feeling burdened. I'm feeling discouraged. And I think we misunderstand the word and what scripture actually says about the word. There's two parts to freedom. What Christ did on that cross was a, was a cost that he paid and he paid alone. The cost for our eternal freedom, he paid that. That isn't ours to pay. That freedom comes with this acceptance for what he did on that cross. The need to understand that there is an eternity that goes beyond this finite life. That is a cross that he paid. One that we will celebrate next weekend. 
the beauty of salvation. But there's this other piece where he says, you know what, I didn't just die for your freedom one day. I died for your iniquity and your pain today. And that freedom takes action from us to attach to, to understand, and to fully receive. That freedom is something that so many of us as Christians, believers, don't actually have the freedom that comes with the peace of the Lord no matter what the circumstance is. The freedom that comes with the joy of the Lord no matter what the loss. That is a different type of freedom and one that we actually have access to but we often don't get. Why? Why is that? We're going to look into John chapter 8 this morning, but let me set the stage a bit of what's happened here. So Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's talking to uh, Jewish religious people of the day. We've heard all the way through the book of John a lot about this, where he's having conversations with religious Jews, and and they are often against him. They're often uh, not for him. He makes a statement near the beginning of chapter 8 saying, I am the light of the world. It's kind of this like statement that brings a lot of controversy and they have this argument about this at the beginning of the chapter. They are talking about, uh, who are you to say that you're the light of the world? And he says, well, guess what? I get to say that because my father is God in heaven. And they are not happy with him for making this statement. Well, let's understand why they're not happy. They're not happy because in their culture, you can't testify about yourself. So you can make a statement about yourself, but you need two witnesses to collaborate that statement. And so they're saying, great, you're saying these things about yourself, but who is it that is actually the witnesses to your testimony? Who do you think you are? Why do you think you have more authority than the rest of us? Where's, where's the people to back up your statements? And he's basically saying, I don't need them. Because guess what? God's the one who said it. I don't need to follow your systems because God is the one who spoke it. He's the only witness that I need. And so there's a lot of controversy going around him. But then there's a group, and it says in chapter 8, that believed him. They believed the statements that he made. Now, when we pick up this morning, I want you to understand that these are the people that he's talking to. They're the ones that believed him. They're the ones that said, yeah, okay, I believe you, that you are the light of the world. I believe the things that you have been saying about yourself. Okay, let's continue the conversation. These aren't the skeptics that he's talking to anymore in this passage. Most of the passages we've talked about in John, he was talking to the skeptics, the ones who didn't believe him yet. The ones that he's talking to right now say, yeah, I believe the statements that you've made. Now let's continue. So let's pick up our story this morning in John chapter 8. Starting in verse 31, chapter 8 and 31, it'll be behind me if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. John chapter 8, 31, here we go. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Let's just stop there for a minute. Do we remember who he's talking to? He's talking to the Jews, and they are saying, we're descendants of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved by anyone. Well, let's think about their history. The history, right, of the Jewish people, those who may know the history, is giggling a little, like, what are you talking about? You especially spent most of your life enslaved. Right? They were enslaved in Egypt, and they were enslaved by the Philistines, and they were enslaved by Babylon, Persia, Syria, and now they're under Roman rule. So they kind of have freedom, but not really. Rome is still telling them what they can and cannot do, and what they're allowed to believe and what they're not allowed to believe. They've got a bit of autonomy, but not complete autonomy. But yet they make the statement that, uh, no, we, we've always been free. Let's continue. I just think it's really funny. Um, where we are. Uh, we are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Let's just, again, unpack a bit here. So what are they saying? Jesus is saying, um, you are doing what your father says, and you're not actually doing what Abraham said or what Abraham did, because Abraham, the Lord, spoke to him, and he obeyed. The Lord spoke, and he believed. So what Jesus is calling out, he's calling their heart. He's saying, okay, well, actually, Abraham listened when God spoke, and you're not listening to what the Lord is saying. So don't, don't anchor back to Abraham. He's saying, Abraham's not really your father. And they're really confused because they're like, no, that is. That's our lineage. That's where we're from. How can you tell us that's not your father? And they're thinking in this earthly sense. And they respond with this. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. And so they're saying, no, like, we know who our biological father is, and we know that we're the lineage of Abraham. And they're looking through it through earthly eyes and not through godly eyes, and they don't understand what he's saying. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own. But he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells us, when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me, for who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. God's boldness 
Or Jesus' boldness sometimes is like astounding. You know, he just basically tells them, like, actually, you're of the devil. <laughs> like, he's talking to all these people, like, I can't even imagine, right? Like, he's like, no, you actually are of the devil. You're not even listening. Like, what is wrong with you? I would like to point out, and I preached on this a while back, about whose job is it to flip tables before we go on a little bit. Jesus gets to be this bold because he's Jesus. Let's not, let's not assume that we get to be as bold as Jesus was in people's lives because we're not Jesus. He is the one who gets to be this bold and call it out because I promise you, he's not blinded by anything else. He's only seeing people's hearts. We often see in part. We often see a mess. We see things through, through blinded vision sometimes. And so to think we can have the boldness that Christ has in other people's lives, let's just, let's just remember our place in the world and that we're not God. And so there needs to be a bit more sensitivity. But sin is still sin. And Jesus just calls it out. He just says it how it is. What does the passage start with? He says, you know what? You want freedom? I know you think you're free. You're really not. You want true freedom. Guess what? Freedom is only found in me. And the church says, amen. Come on, guys. Jesus says that you want freedom. Freedom is only found in me. And the church says, amen. We agree with that statement. We're like them. We believe. Yes, freedom is in you. Great. Make my life great. So he makes this statement. He says, yes, I am the only freedom. But we don't like to see the whole passage. We don't like to see the whole, per the whole picture. There is a cost attached to his freedom. And he says it clearly. Freedom comes at a cost. It is this. He says, if you continue in my word... You're really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, freedom is truth. It's anchoring to truth. It's knowing the truth and choosing to live by it. But guess what? In order to know the truth, you need to know the truth teller. How do you know the truth teller? By being his disciple. See, Jesus says, you want my freedom? It's going to come at the cost of actually being my disciple. It comes at the cost of following me. There's a cost attached to it. That's when these people, you see, uh, you see the tone change. You see Jesus' communication with it change. You see it shift. Why? Because he just got to the heart of the issue. Yes, they were okay with the statements he was making until they had to pay that cost. Because you know what that would mean for them if they wanted to be his disciples in their culture? It would mean that they would follow him as rabbi. He would become their teacher. He was a pretty controversial person at this point in time. Not many people wanted to be attached. And if you did, it came with a big cost. You didn't really know what people were going to think of you. Multiple times already in the book of John, we have saw that we saw that he actually had to retreat because his time had not yet come, but people wanted to kill him. There was a cost attached to being his disciple. There is this beautiful rabbinic saying that came from back then. 
See, a rabbi was a teacher. It was a mentor. Those are the words we would use in our, in our culture. There was this person, a pastor, this person that you would follow. They're, the person that would follow would be that mentee or that apprentice. But there is this saying that a rabbi would say to his followers, to his apprentices, and it would be this, may my dust get on you. May my dust get on you. What does it mean? It means, and I, I think I probably shared it here before, but it means that will you be close enough that when I walk, the dust from my feet touches you. It's this picture Right, because where they lived, there was, you know, dirt grounds. And so when you walk, dust would come up. But you need to be in a pretty close vicinity of that person in order for that dust to actually touch you. And it's this picture of, in order to be someone's disciple, in order to be their apprentice, you had to be close enough that that dust could get on you. What does that mean? It means you're close enough to see what they're doing, to hear what they're saying, to understand them, to know them. It is a term of intimacy. And Jesus is calling them to that. He's saying, you want to be my disciple. Or you want freedom. You need to be my disciple. You need to be close to me. You need to feel my dust. You need to be close enough to know me. We want the freedom of the Lord, but how much time do we actually spend with him? Knowing him understanding him and he gives us a clue here is how do we know that it is this if you continue in my word at the very beginning of john it says what in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and he was with god in the beginning jesus is the engulfment of the word and the word is called the bible it is written down for us to learn about who he is to understand him I think this is one of the lost things in mainstream churches is truly what discipleship is. We wonder why we're not churches filled with people who are free and we're only free in certain settings. We're free when the worship is right and the music is right and the lights are at a certain dimness and the speaker's good enough at making us feel like we're connected and we're empowered. We feel free. And then we go back to our regular life or trials or life, problems of life. Things come against us and we don't feel so free anymore. And we go, why? Why, God? I felt free here. Why don't I free now? And he's saying, because you're really not my disciple. You're not my disciple. You're my fan. You like me. You like what I have to give you. We don't really want to know me. You don't want to know me in that intimate way. You don't want to change things in your life that I'm telling you you need to change. You don't want to call sin, sin. So you're not experiencing the fullness of my freedom. To know him is not just an emotional thing, although it is. Don't get me wrong. There are many times, and I treasure them, where you feel the Lord and you're emotionally connected to him and there is just this presence of peace. But then there are days where you discipline yourself to get up and be his disciple. And what you realize is when you do that and you consistently do that day after day, 
all of a sudden that peace and that joy rests on you. Similar to a marriage. You know, when you first start dating someone, there are the emotional butterflies of your, your, you know, your stomach flipping. It's great and it's fun and it seems wonderful. And then you're in a relationship for a while and then you're married and you're like, wow, this is different. I love how some people laughed. <laughs> right? This is different. You know, those butterflies aren't something I feel every single moment of every day. And bless you if you do to your spouse, that's great. I think you're the minority. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, they still come. There's so many moments where I look at my husband and I think, wow, God, I'm so blessed to have him. He is such a joy to get to be with. And then there are days where <laughs> I didn't even say anything and everyone laughed. <laughs> that says more about how they, what they know about you than what I was going to say. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but there are days, there are days where, I, where it's stretching and not even in a bad way. There are days where, where what, who he is and what the Lord has taught him and what the Lord has shown him actually chafes against what I don't want to deal with. You know, there's days where it does that. And I'm like, I don't really stop talking about all these good things God's doing to you because I just want to sit over here in my poutiness. You know, there's this, like, there's this, there's this tension there. But then there's also this beauty that comes with the depth of relationship, right? That when something happens and I need comfort, the first place I'm going to run is to my husband. There's a safety that is there in his arms, a protection that I know. Someone who I know has my back. There's this intimacy there, so the, the experience of the butterflies may shift and come and go, but it goes to something deeper, and our relationship with the Lord is like that, and I think sometimes we spend so much of our, our Christian life in the dating phase, and we wonder why the, never, the insecurity never goes away. Because you never truly move into the intimate phase where you get to just be fully you. You never move into the intimacy where you know that God loves you no matter what. You sit in this place of dating the Lord instead of truly being connected to him. You want freedom? Be his disciple. You want to be his disciple? You need to read his word. And when you read his word, you need to accept the truth that's in there. See, the Jews didn't want to accept the truth that he was talking about. That was the issue here. That's why it turned into, hey, you know what? You're actually not from God. It turned to that because they basically, he was basically saying, hey, no, you're, you don't want this. You don't want to actually pay the cost that it's going to take to get this type of freedom. And they didn't get it. You want freedom? You need to do number one. Being his disciple means getting in the word. Number two, accept the truth that's in there no matter how difficult it might seem. Because if God calls it sin, there's a reason he calls it sin. No matter how much we don't understand why he calls it sin, I promise you a God that loves you, that created you, that wants the best for you, if he's telling you not to do it, there's a reason not to do it. We don't need to understand all the reasons. All we need to understand is the person who says them. God sees more than we do. 
And so if we believe that he is who he says he is, then we have to say, okay, if he says to do this and not to do this, then there's got to be a reason for it, and I'm just going to trust that he knows that reason. The third thing we need to do that we actually see that, that turned these Jews from believing in him to all of a sudden wanting to kill him is we need to choose to accept accountability. See, God made us to be relational with him and with one another. We need to be in the space that Jesus' dust gets on us, but we also need to be in the space where other believers' dust gets on us. Because God often uses, you see, all the way through Scripture, he uses the relationship between us and other people to help us grow. And to think that you can be a full disciple of who God is and be disconnected from other believers, you are not reading the same word that I am. Amen? Let me say it again. To think that you can be a full disciple of the Lord and not be connected to other disciples, you are not reading the same word that I am. There is so much in Scripture about the relational dynamic in the church that obviously God cares about it. See, they didn't want to hear the accountability. Jesus called it out. He said, you've got issues. You're not actually believing what, I, what, I, what I'm telling you to believe. You don't want to actually do what the cost is. And they rejected it. They said, yeah, you're right. I don't. So let's kill you instead. And often we do that with the Lord. And then we wonder why we don't have the freedom that he promises us. We say, actually, God, I don't want to put the time in. And I don't really like it to have people so close to me that they actually know what I'm doing day to day. Because you know what that means? That means that they can lovingly come alongside me and actually tell me maybe I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing day to day. We keep them in safe spaces, spaces where they only get to see the good parts. And that is your choice. Again, I separated it at the beginning. Is salvation for eternity is one thing, but freedom in the life that we live here is something different. And if you truly want that, you want the peace and the joy. You want the freedom that doesn't matter whether or not you're in prison or whether or not you're at the beach. Like Paul said, I still praise you. I'm still free. That type of freedom, that freedom comes with time and relationship. It is not something that comes easily. It comes with a cost, but the cost is worth it. I'm going to call the worship team up. There is a term here that Jesus uses when he says, hey, you know what, you need to stop sinning. You need to start getting in my word. But the term he uses there, sinning, and sin isn't a one-time sin. We all struggle with issues and sin in our lives. The word he's using is you're choosing to be in a state of sinning. You're choosing to live there. You're choosing to put blinders on. My challenge for you this morning is that if you want freedom, you want to be able to say, free at last. You want to be able to say, whom the sun sets free is free indeed, and actually mean that statement. You want that? Do you want that, church? 
we want that freedom, we need to truly be his disciples. So this morning before you leave here, you need to actually come before the Lord. We need to come before the Lord and say, God, where am, where is the gap? Have I put my Bible down for too long? And if you don't understand it, which I hear all the time, I don't know what it says. Oh, that is an excuse because there is a bazillion and one Bible studies out there that will tell you what it says. You need help finding one? Just ask. There is no excuse anymore to not get what this is saying. Find someone and get them to help you understand, but you need to know truth. You want freedom? Learn truth. You want freedom? Spend time with the Lord and spend time with others who know him. Allow them to lovingly listen. Allow them to lovingly confront out of love. Know that it is because they want the best for you, but bring them in. Allow the Lord's dust to get on you and someone else's dust to get on you. James always says, I'm sure he heard it from someone else, but he might be him, so I'm going to let him take the credit. Is that if the devil can't destroy you, he can distract you. Am I quoting it right? No. What is it? Say it. I'll repeat it. There you go. The devil can't drive you, he'll distract you. The point is, is that often he's aware he can't take you out. But what he can do is distract you. And he often does that. He distracts us from being real disciples of the Lord. And what that means is we're not really warriors for him then. We're not doing our job. We're not doing what we're supposed to. And we don't have the freedom that he intended us to have. This morning, let us be a church that deeply desires freedom over anything else. Let freedom be something that we want so bad that we're willing to pay whatever cost comes. We're going to sing one last song. Let me just pray for you as a church. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have paid a price so that we can be free. Free in our eternity and free in our human life here. God, I pray that we would be a people that is humble enough to put our pride aside and say, God, deal with my heart. God, help me to get into your word and know you. Help me to truly be your disciple. God, I pray that we would be a church that would find the time to make sure that we are connecting with you and connecting with one another. God, I thank you that you have promised us this freedom and all we have to do is take it. Would you be with us today as we sing your praises? Would you soften our hearts to hear from you? Give us the commitment to follow through. In your name, amen.